Now Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not really Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So um, Derek started us off in John 4 a couple of weeks ago, and we're just going to do the first few verses today. Because the story starts off with Jesus leaving John behind and moving to somewhere new. John, of course, was a forerunner of Jesus, someone whose job was to point the way to something bigger than himself. John was not the destination. John was just a signpost on the way to Jesus. And this is John, John the Baptist that we're talking about. You can read about him in the first few chapters of John. He came with a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And what John was doing was great. It was excellent, helpful, but it wasn't the fullness of the message that Jesus was bringing. John's message wasn't the destination. It was just a stop on the journey. And Jesus knows he has to move on from John because he's going to take the people much further than just a baptism of repentance and having your sins forgiven. That's all wonderful and fantastic, but it wasn't the fullness of what Jesus had. So he had to take them further. But in order to do that, he has to leave John behind and move on. It wasn't that what John was sharing and doing was not good. It was good, fantastic, all ordained of God, but it wasn't everything. In terms of John, what was was good, but it wasn't the fullness. What was was good, but it wasn't everything. It wasn't the destination. What was had got the people to where they were, and it was laying a platform for Jesus to get them into the future. But that future meant leaving some things behind and embracing some different things. And of course, that's true whenever you move forward in anything. Whenever you move forward in anything, that's true. So what's true for us as a people and as individuals and anybody in the world is that actually what was was good, but it wasn't the fullness, because Jesus has always got something more. What's been was wonderful, but Jesus always wants to take us further. What was was good, but it wasn't everything. It wasn't the destination. What was has been brilliant and has got us to where we are and laid a platform to get us into the future. But that future might mean leaving some things behind and embracing some things that are ahead. It's really interesting to ask what Jesus was leaving behind. Because it says that when the Pharisees heard he was gaining baptizing more disciples, he left. He was leaving competition and comparison behind. He's doing well, the numbers are up, popularity is going, he goes, right, I'm off. Not interested in competition. Not interested in comparison. Not interested in celebrity. Not interested in people knowing all about him. Just not interested at all in any of that stuff. Outward, outward looking success, yep, leaving that behind because he's not remotely interested. He's also leaving ways of doing things behind. It's really interesting that uh, after this little note about the disciples baptizing people, there is no mention in the Gospels of Jesus or his disciples baptizing anybody. It's almost like, and of course we find it again in Acts, but it's almost like Jesus goes, no. I, this is what John did to get you into this thought of we're going to baptize you in water and then you're going to come out again. It's going to be symbolic. But actually, I want to move you to a different place where you know the water you need is already on the inside of you. It's not outside of you. So it seems he leaves it behind completely. And then the disciples pick it up because it was baptism was part of Jewish tradition anyway, pre-Jesus. If you wanted to be converted to Judaism, you would get baptized. That was how you converted to Judaism even before Jesus. But Jesus, it seems, goes... And I'm not suggesting we get rid of it. I'm just saying Jesus moved on. 
Because using the same methods, examples, and illustrations as John would not have helped his message to get through. Now, he had to go through Samaria. This is quite a big deal in the story because he didn't have to go through Samaria at all. And it's unlikely that to get there, he went through Samaria. Um, in order to understand this, I need to show you a map. Um, okay, so Galilee's at the top. Run from Judea, Jerusalem, Bethany, Bethlehem, Jericho, Bethlehem. Samaria's right in the middle. Now, the reason I'm going to explain to you in a minute, if you wanted to go, say, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, then you basically cross the Jordan, come down through the Capitol and cross the Jordan back again and go back in. That's how most Jewish people would have traveled. And the reason why they felt like that went back almost a thousand years before Jesus. Because it's all based on the fact that um, if you read the Old Testament, there was Israel and they became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And basically Samaria ends up as a northern kingdom and Judea ends up as the southern kingdom. And um, then the Assyrians come in at 700 BC and conquer the northern kingdom. And what happens is they deport people and bring in other people. But some Israelites left. So what happened was they all intermarried. So you got this kind of group of fellow Jews, but they were not, in the eyes of others, pure Jews because they bred with other nations and other people. But Samaritans felt they were Jewish because they had Jewish blood in them. The Judeans, though, they fell, and those being the pure Jews were like, well, you're not really Jewish, and therefore they had to fight and fell. And this carried on and on for thousands of years in all sorts of different ways. All sorts of things happened. The Jews, Judea, wanted to rebuild the temple. The Samaritans said, well, help this, clear off. You're not helping, you're not Jewish. Uh, and nothing changes, does it, to be honest? Um, then the Greeks came along in 300 BC, and the Samaritans said, we're not really Jews. They decided they're not really Jews in order to fit in. So they went, well, you really are not really Jews now. So anyways, um, and then just to make it worse, about 100 BC, Maccabees take over Judea, and they uh, go up to Syria, and the, Sam Syria, the Samaria, and the Samaritans had built a temple on Mount Gerizim, um, and uh, the Maccabees destroyed it, because that wasn't probable, because it should be in Jerusalem. Just think of 1970s Ireland. Think of Gaza today. Think of, in, think of all the places people don't go because of thousands of years of betrayal and hatred and all that. Which is why, by the way, later on Jesus said, not on this mountain or in Jerusalem you will worship me. Because in the day there were two centers of worship, one in Mangrid and one in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going, I'm not really interested in any of this geographic stuff because it's all in here. Anyways, Jesus apparently had to go through Samaria. So Samaria for Jesus, a Jew, um, or racially a Jew anyway, meant he had to go through a dangerous place, a challenging place, and an unfamiliar place. So I find it interesting that after leaving John behind and moving into something new, he finds himself in an unfamiliar and challenging place that he has to go through. For Jesus, of course, it's about breaking cultural taboos and boundaries, hence, you know, why she says in the story, why are you talking to me? We hate each other. And he's a woman and a man on her own and all that. But this is something that's been going on for over a thousand years. This is massive culturally what he's doing. Also, by the way, it's massive culturally when the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, that's why Jesus uses a Samaritan. It would be literally like going, there's a Palestinian down there and an Israeli comes and mends his wounds or whatever or yeah. 70s Ireland, Catholic and a Protestant. Jesus is using these people who literally hate each other and have been killing each other for a millennia to go, hey, this is what the kingdom really looks like. But here's the key thing. In order to get into the future, you might have to go through some unfamiliar and challenging places. 
in order again that the future you might have to go through some unfamiliar and challenging places. You might have to break some cultural taboos, whether that be national, regional, or just local family culture. They might need breaking down to get into the future. That's what Jesus is doing. He's getting into the future, and he's breaking down all these taboos and all these cultural things that have existed for a long time. As I was thinking about being in an unfamiliar and challenging place, I was reminded of John's words about Jesus, quoting Isaiah, when he said, the crooked road shall become straight. And I realized that many times when we're in unfamiliar or challenging times, all the roads look crooked and difficult to navigate. But John did not say there'll be a straight road that just appears. He said the crooked road will be made straight. So he didn't start off straight. He starts off crooked and ends up straight. And he says the rough ways will be made smooth. In other words, it doesn't start off smooth, it looks rough. So it shouldn't be any surprise if you're navigating somewhere new, the road is crooked and rough. That's okay. What we can believe is that it will become smooth and straight. Because that's the promise that comes from Isaiah and that John declares. The crooked ways will be made straight, the rough paths shall become smooth. So at this time, I don't think it's about looking for the straight, smooth path but rather about taking the less trodden path that looks crooked and rough, but trusting that as we walk it with him, he will make it straight and smooth. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Japheth had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So he arrives in Samaria and there's a well. But it isn't just any well, because we learn it's Jacob's well that he'd given to his son. So dad had dug a well and given it to his son. Dad did all the hard work by digging down and clearing everything out so his son could access life-giving water. Jesus sits down by a well, dug by a father, and given to a son, and seeks refreshment. Jesus sits down by a well dug by a father and given to a son and seeks refreshment. The truth is that you don't need to dig a well because father's already dug it. You don't need to dig a well to receive life-giving refreshment. Father has already dug it and he's already given it to you because you're his son and his daughter. And he desires you drink deeply from him for he knows you need refreshing. Father has already dug, but it might feel like it's difficult to draw water. Well, that might be because you're struggling to believe there's any water in the air at all. But there is. At some point, we have to choose to trust Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit, that they really have provided wonderful goodness and provision of everything we need, and it is laid down on the inside of us. And that's a simple choice. It really is just a simple choice. It's either there or it's not. But the truth is that he has provided wonderful goodness and provision of everything we need and laid it down on the inside of us. You might have chosen to believe there's water in your well, but every time you try and drink, there's all sorts of things going on. All sorts of thoughts you're battling with that don't seem like they come from Father's hearts. Well, maybe these, these are stones and rocks that have fallen into your well. Don't mean they're in a well, though. It doesn't mean they're in water at the bottom of it. It just means there's a few sticks and rocks that have fallen in that you might need to dig out. That's called discipleship. That's called working out all the things you think and are there that seem to block it. 
all the things that you've experienced or gone through that tell you the opposite of everything Father is. But once again, it does not mean there is a gurgling spring of life on the inside of you. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. One of the reasons I've loved these words for many years is because they demonstrate to me the wonderful humanity of Jesus. I can connect with a Jesus who is tired from the journey. I can connect with a Jesus who wants to just sit down and go, and as Derek shared two weeks ago, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be tired of church. It's okay to be tired of faith. It's okay to be tired, frustrated, upset. That's okay. It's called life. It's okay when we're tired of what it's cost us to get this far. It's okay when we're tired and frustrated at what we're not seeing. It's okay. Don't deny it. Don't <laughs> pretend. It's all right. The key is, where are you going to sit when you're in that place? That's the key. You see, often when we become a bit fed up and tired with the journey, there's a deep temptation to sit with others who are equally fed up and share our fed upness, if that's a word, a temptation to surround ourselves with those who feel like we feel and tell each other how tired we are and how terrible it all is. And it's important that we are heard it's important that we can share and know we're not the only person who feels like that. That's important. There's a place for that sharing, a powerful place of being heard and recognizing you are not alone where you find yourself. But once you've done that, once you've been heard and received the reassurance you're not the only human being on the planet to feel like you do or have experienced what you've gone through, then it's really important what we do next. And what we should do next is follow the example of Jesus. We sit by the well. Many of us have got very good at sitting down. But I think we all still have much to learn about sitting down at the well and learning to drink. We are fighting all the time a huge consumer mentality that I am going to do my best to crush out of you this year because it ain't helping you on your journey with Jesus. And it ain't helping you see the kingdom come. I've never been brave enough to put the sign out the front that I wanted which said, welcome to a church that's not about you. I've wanted to, I've just never been brave enough. Or stupid enough, depending on your point of view as to what you're trying to achieve. But, but really, if I wanted a slogan, that would be one of my slogans. Welcome to a place where it's not about you. Welcome to a place where it's about him first and foremost. And welcome to a place where it's about each other. 
And welcome to a place where when it's about him and each other, you are very, very blessed and looked after. But as Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added unto you. You see, Jesus found himself moving on from John into a new future. That meant they had to go through an unfamiliar and challenging place. Jesus knew Father had provided a well that was given to him as a son. And tired as he was from the journey, he sat down by the well that Father had provided. And interestingly, if you read the story, he never gets a drink. He never gets the cup of water. Instead, he led a woman into the reality of the water freely available to her at all times. And that's what I want to get to. To a place where even when we feel like we need a drink, we're able to bring living water to those around us because we've learned to draw from the living supply within us. Jesus said, you have meat, I have meat and drink you do not know of. And they all went, well, they went to Asda for him. I can't see bags anywhere. But he went, no, I am sustained by something much bigger than anything you can see with your eyes or put your hands on. I want to get to a place, or move towards a place, where we know more and more that we have what we need. And it's not outside of us, but inside of us. To a place where we understand and recognize that chasing after anything on this earth is completely fruitless unless we chase after grasping the well of life within us first. This is what Jesus said. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. As well. a very exciting journey to go on. Very exciting journey to go on. Of learning what those words mean. What does it mean to sit by the well? And just to be really clear, just to be really clear, okay, because we fall into, we fall into separateness all the time, okay? He's not separate from you. He's not separate from you. Okay. The way to think of it is there's your spirit and there's your flesh. And your flesh feels empty, but your spirit's full. But that spirit is still part of you. It still is you. In fact, it's the real you. It's the bit that was before the foundation of the world and the bit that will praise him forevermore. Jesus. Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. I want us to learn this year 
what that means. Not just like theologically, but practically. Because what it'll mean for you is not what it means for me practically. What it looks like for you will not look like it means for me. But I hope that over these coming months we can come to a place where we can say, I think I'm starting to grasp a little bit what Jesus meant when he talked about food and drink that you don't know about. Because I want to start to know about it. I want to start to find the shells and the wrapping and the microwave it goes in and enjoy it. Don't you? Good. That's where we're going, church. That is where we are going. We're going to learn to sit by the well and enjoy. And it's going to give you what you need. More importantly, it's going to give you what those around you need. More importantly. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the truth that there is a deep source of you in each and every single person. And that definitely includes all the people listening right now. So I want to thank you that every person, you have dug a well and given it to them. And it is a wonderful source of life, Father. Father, we want to say sorry when we have denied the reality of that, Father. When we've looked with our earthly eyes and said, it's not true for me and it's not possible for me and that's not right for me and it's all right for everybody else but not for me, Father. If we've said that, we say sorry to you right now, Father, for denying the reality of what you have done. And Father, we're aware that there are many things in our lives that seem to block it. Many thoughts that we have, experiences we've gone through that that seem to make it challenging. But I thank you, Father, that you've dug it once and you'll help us unclog it. Because you want nothing more than us to drink deeply from the life that's on the inside of us. Thank you, Father, for that truth in the beautiful name of Jesus.